1 Samuel uh, chapter 1, let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your presence among us this morning. And we pray as we turn to your word, Lord, for your help, and for your anointing, Lord, for the Holy Ghost to come. Speak to us, Lord, we pray for a touch of God upon our lives today, Lord, that you would reveal Jesus through your word and your heart to the church at this hour. Lord, we need, Lord, a revelation, a fresh revelation of your desire in these days. And so, Lord, we pray for your anointing upon your word. Give his ears to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Everyone said it. Amen. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, we are looking at uh, Hannah, Elkanah, her husband, and we'll pick up the reading uh, from verse 3. It says, And this man, that's Elkanah, went up out of the city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. When the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Peninnah his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters' portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had shut up her womb, and her adversary also provoked her sore, for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat. Then said Elkanah, her husband, her, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? Why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto thee, the Lord, all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. It came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. And therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, have I spoken hitherto? Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And we know the Lord will bless the reading of his word. Just one other verse that I've been using last week, this week, and, and next week, Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6, a verse that many of you know very well, Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by, my, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. The end, just again, uh, to recap on last week, just for a few moments if I could. The end of the season of the Judges, the previous book in uh, the Scriptures here, the end of that season 
uh, we've seen a perpetual cycle over around 350 years of Israel walking in the blessing of God as obeying God, then disobedience where there was apostasy, the idolatry, the serving of foreign gods. Then number three after that, what would happen was there was judgment upon the nation of Israel, the oppression, the distress, the enemy would come and, and put them out of the land and oppress them and take their harvest. And then the people would cry out in their bondage and then their depths of despair and they would repent. God would hear their cry. And number five, then the Spirit of the Lord would come upon a man or a woman. And then through that, there'd be a great deliverance come and God would bring his people back to himself. This cycle goes on for about 350 years. Coming right up to 1 Samuel chapter 1, this verse, this woman, it seems as though perhaps she's insignificant, but as someone prayed, I think Brian prayed at the close of the service last week, that all of Israel depended on the prayer of this one woman. The cry of this woman, Hannah, her womb was shut, but God was in control. There was a purpose of God in everything of what he was doing. We looked last week at the intensity of the satanic opposition to this woman, Hannah. Last week we looked at persistent faith in the face of adversity. This week it's persistent prayer in the, in the face of adversity. And so in all of this, we see that there was an intensity uh, opposition to Hannah. And we, we looked then just at her life as, as the enemy would come against her. We looked at the promises of God for us as the enemy and his weapons against the church of Jesus Christ and how we're to stand upon God's word, exposing the works and the schemes and the tricks of the, the enemy, but believing and trusting in God's word and knowing how to stand in the days in which we're living today. Hannah, of course, as we move on, Hannah, of course, is likened to the remnant church of our day. When I use the word remnant, I remember Brother Clinton said that word simply means a people who have survived a crisis. That's what the remnant are, a people who survive a crisis. We're in a crisis. We're in a crisis. We're in a crisis. Many don't believe it. Many refuse to believe it. Many don't want to acknowledge it. A crisis is a crucial time in the state of affairs, a decisive moment when change is impending or has already happened, a time of intense difficulty. We're in. We are in a crisis. We're in a crisis as a nation. We're in a crisis. Northern Ireland's in a crisis. Have you heard the word being used? We're in a crisis. We're in a crisis socially. We're in a crisis morally. We're in a crisis economically. We're in a crisis spiritually. There's a crisis. Hannah is likened to the church. And I'm going to show you where I see the similarities between Hannah and the church. Hannah's name means divinely favored or to have mercy upon and as the church of Jesus Christ, the blood bought, there's a divine favor on us. That's God's grace. We are, we are divinely favored of God. We have received mercy. Amen. In Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, if you turn over, as we look to the similarities between Hannah, her name means mercy or divinely favored. And then we look at the similarities between her and the church. 
In Titus 3 and verse 5, it says, Not by the works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Not, and that was the theme of the prayers this morning around the table, not by the works of righteousness what we have done, but it's according to the mercy of God that God has saved us this morning. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve it this morning, but God has saved us. That's the mercy of God. We're divinely favored. We don't deserve it, friends. We're no better than anybody else. But the grace of God has reached us. The mercy of God has, has delivered us. And God has kept us by his great power. And 1 Peter chapter 1, if you turn over in verse 3, just likening Hannah to the church. Hannah was in a crisis. The church is in a crisis. But 1 Peter 1 and verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The Bible here tells us it's abundant mercy. Mercy there was great. Grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty. Were at Calvary. The mercy of God. Divinely favored mercy upon us. We are in a crisis. And we are like Hannah as a church and individually. But we have received mercy. Not only are we like her. If you turn back over in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 5. It says there that Elkanah. That's Hannah's husband, in verse 5, it says that, But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion. And you know, I, just, I just got that little phrase there, and then I run the reference through, and it brought me into Esther chapter 2. And if you turn over into Esther chapter 2, when, when, when the king was looking through the maids to bring forth a queen, you remember the story of Esther? And Esther was brought into the king's palace. It says in Esther chapter 2 and verse 8, so it came to pass, I'll give you a second to get there, Esther chapter 2 and verse 8. Just remember, this is a worthy portion. So we are like Hannah, that we have received the worthy portion from the Lord. But in Esther chapter 2 and verse 8 it says, So it came to pass when the king's commandment and his decree was heard, and when many maidens were gathered together unto Shushan the palace to the custody of Haggai, that Esther was brought also unto the king's house to the custody of Haggai. He is the keeper of the women. And the maiden pleased him, and she obtained kindness of him. And he speedily gave her things for purification with such things. Now just that phrase there. With such things as belonged to her. Above all the maids that were brought in. Hannah and also Esther in the palace was given a worthy portion. There was something unique about them. Can I tell you friends, there's something unique about the church of Jesus Christ. Yes. The church has received a worthy portion. And we heard about Calvary this morning and the finished work. But through Jesus Christ this morning, we have received a worthy portion. We don't, we don't deserve this. 
We haven't merited this. But in the mercy and the grace of God, he has given us a worthy portion. And it says, in seven maidens which were meet with which were meet to be given to her out of the king's house, he preferred her and her maids unto the best place of the house of the women. Thank God this morning, if you're saved, you're part of the church of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you, friends, we've received a worthy portion. We're spe- I'm going to t- you're special in the eyes of God. You're the apple of his eye. He rejoices over the great salvation. The day that you were saved, God himself rejoices over the fact that he's delivered you from the grips and the power of hell. You belong to him. You've received mercy. You're the apple of his eye. And you've received a worthy portion. God's been good to us. God's been good. Is God good? God's been good to us. The mercy of God. We don't deserve it. Anybody stand to say, oh, well, I I deserve what I... I tell you what I deserve this morning. I deserve a hell, a lake of fire. I deserve to be lost forever. There's nothing that I've done to deserve this great salvation. But it's mercy that's rewrote our lives this morning. And so like Hannah, like Hannah received a worthy portion, so have we. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, if you turn over... The Ephesians, it tells us about the great portion that we have received. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Would you read this verse with me together audibly? Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Speaking about us this morning. Ephesians 1 and verse 3. I'll give you time to get there. Let's say it together. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. We're blessed this morning. Listen, we are blessed this morning with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. What about that for a blessing? Who's he talking about this morning? Are you saved? He's talking about you. He's talking about me. Spiritual blessings. We've received a worthy portion. We can enter in through the blood of Jesus Christ this morning, not in any merits of ourselves or in the name of a church or a minister or anybody else, but in the merits of the blood of Jesus Christ. We boldly enter to the throne of grace of Almighty God and we're welcomed in to make our petitions known and find help in our time of need. Isn't God good? Hasn't He blessed us? Have we received the worthy portion? Have we received mercy? Not only that, it tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 5, not only did she receive the worthy portion, it says that he loved Hannah. He loved Hannah. Friends, this morning, God loves you. God loves you. God loves us. Bible says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. What did he do? He gave himself. That's love, isn't it? He gave himself. He died for the church, the body of Christ. Although Hannah, the recipient of great mercy, greatly blessed, highly favored, the grace of God, everything that was bestowed upon her, greatly loved by her husband, just like the church is today. The Bible tells us 
that this same woman was in bitterness of soul. Was in bitterness of soul. Just think about that this morning. Look, using Hannah as a type of the church, she was in bitterness of soul. There was a need in the very depths of her being that nothing but an intervention of God Almighty would satisfy. There was a need right in the core, right in the innermost part of this woman, right down into the depths of her being, that no man could reach into, no tablet of this world, no method or philosophy of man, no psychological help, no visit to the GP, Nothing, there was nothing right down into the depths of this woman. There was nothing in this world could help her except an intervention of God. She's like the church. She's a type of the church. The need was great. It was not that she was dissatisfied with everything that she had or that she had received. It was not that she was dissatisfied with the mercy that she had received. It was not that she was dissatisfied with the worthy portion that she had received. It was not that she was dissatisfied with the great love that was bestowed upon her. It was that in the depth of her core, she was content and satisfied with those things. But there was one thing in the depth of her being. She needed an answer. Do you know what I'm saying this morning? The need was what caused her to be at the altar. It was what, as it were, brought her time and time to the altar of God with tears and weeping and prayer. Sometimes there was no words, but there was plenty of tears. Smith Megglesworth said, The secret of spiritual success is a hunger that persists. It is an awful condition to be satisfied with one's spiritual attainments. God was and God is looking for hungry, thirsty people. Lord, help us. The secret of spiritual success is a hunger that persists. I wish... I could say that that hunger is as strong and as real today as it was even in times past. For me, I wish it was. There were times that I can remember a deep hunger, a deep longing, a deep cry. Life gets busy and time goes by and we we carry on. We, we are loved. We're, we have great mercy upon our lives. We have received much of the Lord. And he continues to bless us. He continues to bless us every day. The hymn writer says, count your blessings, name them one by one. And it's going to surprise you what the Lord has done. And yet he still blesses us, even in our backsliding, in our cold and heart, in our indifference, in our battles, in our struggles. Do you know what he does? He keeps blessing us. Can't take it in because he's not like us in a human sense. If we wrong each other, that's the end of that. 
You know what I'm saying? Thank God God's not like us. Thank God he's not like us. He still blesses us. He still gives us mercy. I need mercy, do you? And so in the depth of her core, there was a cry, there was a hunger, and there was a thirst. Bitterness, that word simply means there was a discontentment right down into the core of her being. There was nothing that you could say to Hannah, and I believe this is the remnant church of the day. There's nothing that is going to satisfy them but a move and an intervention of Almighty God. And thank God for that. With everything that's being offered to the church today to satisfy or to try and distract it from its purpose and the divine purpose of God in these days, everything is being swept into the church to distract us from the real cry of the Holy Spirit, the real deep intercession of the Spirit of God in our hearts. There's distractions everywhere. We have all the apparatus that we we have it that's coming out our ears but it does not satisfy what the spirit of god has put in the depth of a heart the very heart of the church now what it's needed in this hour is a divine intervention and an outpouring of the holy spirit and revival power the divine discontentment of Hannah. If we could only see, as we look with the privilege of looking at the story, as the writer who is writing uh, from a historical point of view himself, we'll come to that in a minute, he's looking back over this age. And if we could only see the, the pursuit, the provocation of the enemy, day in and day out, the lies, the intensity, the struggles, the battles, Year after year, she's coming to the altar. She's weeping. She's crying. She's believing. She's a worthy portion. She's loved greatly. She's great mercy upon her life. But none of those things would satisfy the desire in her heart that brought her to the altar time and time and time again. Nothing could fulfill or satisfy that longing that was in her. I'm going to come to this. It's in her. Do you understand? It's actually in her being. It's in the depth of her soul. Her adversary prospered. Even in all of this, it tells us of Penina that she had sons and she had daughters. So while this is all going along, she's looking around and her enemy's prospering. Her, her enemy's having more sons and more daughters. Her enemies seems as though it, everything's going well. But for her, it's like she's in the battle of her life. David in Psalm 73 begins to see the psalmisters looking through a whole list of, of what the wicked are doing. If you turn over, I'll just touch on a few for time's sake. But Psalm 73, he sees the wicked and he begins to list Everything that's happening, I'll not go through it all, but it says, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped, for I was envious at the foolishness, at the foolish, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. 
For there is no bonds in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasses them as about as a chain. Violence covers them as, an arg- as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have, more, they, have, they have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt. They speak wickedly. They set their mouths against the heavens, their tongue. This is just the day we're in. You look around, the wicked are prospering. They have no concern of eternity, the things of God. They're mocking. They mock the church. They mock the things of God. Even some in the church do this. And so we see a whole carnal church or a counterfeit church, an ecumenical church, whatever you want to call it, that never heard about or never center their lives upon the cross or the finished work of Jesus. It's not preached. The Bible's not open. They don't preach about sin. They don't preach about heaven or hell. They don't preach the gospel. They don't preach repentance. But yet it seems as though they're prospering. They're building new buildings, bigger buildings, and it's all moved by the soulish appeal of great, wonderful, attractive so-called worship. What a day. Hannah's watching all of this, and David lists it all. And then as you get down to verse 17 in the psalm, he sees all this, and then it says this. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their end. Until I got into his presence, then I realized, oh God, how foolish was I to think that they had it. But you see, in all the prosperity of the wicked, This was not the thing that caused her to persist in prayer, the external decay. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, as we moved along a little bit, but we find out really what the climate of the hour was, the spiritual climate. Chapter 3 there, it tells us in the first few verses, the word of the Lord is precious. That means it was rare. In other words, the revelation of God. The revelation of God through the preaching of his word. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. The Paul says that my word did not come just with intellectualism and the wisdom of man, but in the power and in the demonstration of the Holy Ghost. And so it wasn't just that it was a clever word. It wasn't just that it was a well-presented, communicated message. There was a dynamic power of the Holy Ghost. The revelation was rare. It says the word of the Lord was rare in those days. It says there was no open vision. It is typified in Eli the high priest who was 98 years old. But it says that his eyes were dim. And that speaks of really that they'd lost the vision. Without a vision what happens? People perish. It speaks of vision. He's compromised. We read the story of Eli. He's compromised. He's backslidden. There's neglect. It tells us that the lamp of God was near going out in the temple. That lamp that had to be kept burning. Give us oil in our lamps. Keep us burning. The oil was near out. I know there's different ideas in this. But it paints a picture of the spiritual climate of the hour. 
Spiritually, we find ourselves in an hour where God, the Holy Spirit, has created a discontentment in the heart of many believers. I'm going to say that again. Revival is not a good idea. Revival is God's idea. Revival is God's idea. We find ourselves that God, the Holy Spirit, has created in the remnant church a discontentment, not just in Balnehenge, across the island of Ireland and across the United Kingdom, across Europe and across the world. There are believers that have the divine discontentment in this hour to see God move again. They're discontent with division, with carnality, with the facade, with the immorality in the church, with the loss of a generation, the young people to suicide. We're not happy. Are we happy because a young generation are being lost and swept into eternity? Can we just turn the music louder so we don't hear the cries of the souls of men and women fall into a lake of fire forever? Are we happy with what is presented by the church today as the gospel? Unlike the hour of the judges, it's found twice in the book of Judges, Judges 17, if you turn to it, verse 6, because this really typifies our day. Judges 17, verse 6. It's also found in Judges 21, 25. And this is how we know that the writer is looking back as he, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is recording the Judges. Judges 17, verse 6 says, In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. I'll do what's right in my eyes. Don't you tell me I'm going to... It's a popular thing today. It's popular in the church. And so what we find is that everyone's doing what they want to do. No one's going to tell me anything because I'm right. And who are you to tell me anything else? And so we find that on YouTube some teacher that fits our idea. We YouTube it, find a teacher that fits our idea. And then that's it. That's the gospel. And we do what's right in our own eyes. Friends, I want to tell you something. We're, we're in bad shape. We're in bad shape. First thing I want to ask about that so-called teacher is, what church do you belong to? Where do you meet on a Sunday morning? Do you gather to break bread with other believers? Are you submitted and belonging to a local assembly? Most of the time, the answer is No. One of the great ones, I'll not mention him, who everyone flocks to hear, the great teacher, doesn't bother with church on a Sunday. Well, friends, I'm not going to bother listening to him. Pastor McConnell once said, I know there's a lot of problems, but I'd rather be in the stink than in the storm because God's going to revive it. But there's Hannah. Her womb... And her purpose is to birth souls. They're not satisfied with the status quo. There's a deep desire for a move of God, the Holy Spirit, in reviving the church of our day. There's a deep desire. It's been planted there by the Holy Ghost. There's a desire this morning by some in this room 
that there's a longing to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. There's a longing for the reality of the baptism found in Acts chapter 2 and the first four verses to become a reality for them. There's a deep desire to see true births. Well born, Bran. Well born. Born delivered. The womb of the church to be fruitful. Is that not God's heart and purpose? It was of because of this bitterness of soul that caused this woman to be persistent in her faith and persistent in her prayer that God answered. Can you imagine? Could I take you? Could you just put on Hannah's shoes for a moment? Just put her shoes on. You're in Hannah's shoes now. Can you imagine what it was for Hannah? She sees her enemy laughing and mocking her every day. She sees her enemy standing and she's prospering, she's growing. She sees her husband weeping before saying, but I'll give you everything. I love you greatly. I'll give you the worthy portion. I'll give you mercy. I'll give you everything. Is it not enough? Am I not worth ten sons? And yet in the depths of her being, she's continuing to weep and cry out to God because it's in her. Do you understand? It's in her. The external was not the reason why she persisted. It was a bitterness of her soul. The need was internal. It was there by the Holy Ghost. She felt it. She knew it. She was burdened with it. It was her thought. It was her conversation. It was her desire. It was God. It was God. God stamped it on her very DNA. It was in the very depths of her being. And friends, I want to tell you this morning, I believe this, that God has stamped in the very DNA and into the depths of the hearts of the remnant church today a revival because it's the only answer to the tide of wickedness and evil that swept our land. It was there by the Holy Ghost. This is when we enter into what true intercession really is. It's not because the devil's really bad. It's not because there's wickedness on our streets. It's not because there's a great decay in the church. It's not because there's an apostasy. The reason is that in the very depths of her being, there is a cry and a groan of the Holy Spirit. It is her pain. It is her agony. It is her cry. She has now identified herself with the very purpose and the divine order of God. That God the Holy Spirit is in her and groaning through her. In Romans 8 and 26 it says these words. Likewise, the Spirit, capital S, helps our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit, capital S, itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. You see, brothers and sisters, I believe that the Spirit needs to be given free course. For what purpose? Let the Spirit groan in the church again. Let there be a groan. The groan of the Holy Spirit in the very heart of the church. I tell you, friends, I'm encouraged. It may not sound that way, but I'm encouraged 
Because when I hear people cry out to God, and they may not get all their words together, and they may not get it all, all the vocabulary and the grammar may not be right, but when I hear the cry, you know it's from the Spirit. You don't understand what I'm saying. It's not that they have great words. We can't have great words. We can't have the right words. But it's not so much in the words. That's what I'm saying. It's something that you hear it. It's something that you sense it. It's something that just quickens you. That someone suddenly is caught. It's like the Holy Ghost lays a hold of them. It's like suddenly the wind begins to blow on them. And suddenly that prayer, you feel it in your own prayers when it happens, don't you? And suddenly it's not you praying anymore. But now the wind of God's on your back and you're lifted. Oh, how many prayer meetings like that? I tell you, the devil hates prayer meetings like that. Give us a wee prayer meeting that all we do is pray to each other and pray our sermons to each other and what I think and what she thinks and how bad that is. But let the Holy Ghost get a hold of us. Then people don't like that. That stir, I tell you, that stirs it all up. Religious people, don't, they don't like that. And the devil hates it. But it's God, the Holy Spirit. Lord, put a groan in us again. Lord, put a groan in our spirits. A deep groan. The very heart of God. The burden of God. The heart of God. A woman cried. In Genesis 30 and verse 1, her name is Rachel. She said, give me children or I die. Give me children or I die. You talk about desperate prayers. It was in her. The external decay and the opposition was real. We looked at it last week. But it was Hannah herself needed an intervention of God. God Revive me. Do you understand what it is? Revive me. Matthew chapter 26, verse 21. They all sat at a table with the Lord Jesus Christ. The eternal God in the flesh, sitting in their presence. Think about it. They were looking into the eyes of God himself. They were looking into the eyes of God himself. And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, it must be Peter. It must be James. I want to tell you something, friends, how we need the searchlight of God. Lord, is it me? Is it I? Revival, we have often heard, starts, draw a circle around yourself and say, Lord, revive me. She's in bitterness of soul, and the prayer she makes is a prayer that is from the depth of her being, and at times it is with little words, but it is often with much tears. Lord, we need to ask God, God, would you do that again? The Bible said the Lord had shut her womb, 
If only we could see this. It was God alone who shut her womb. It was God alone who would open it. And from when he shut it until he opened it, the divine purpose of God would be would be in her and the hope of Israel would be dependent upon her persistent tears and prayers. A woman who was in the battle of her life. And I encourage you, saint, if you're in the battle of your life today, you're believing, you're longing, you know you're in a battle, can I tell you something? Just keep battling on. Just keep battling on. There's a break that will come. If he, if his will is that none should perish, and yet we're in the hour where there is little true born-again testimonies, thank God for the ones that are in this room this morning, the ones and the twos, truly born of God, in comparison to the extensive outreaches and missions all around us, I'm not criticizing that. I believe that we must go and we must preach and we must evangelize as we see the day approach. It's the day of the highways and the byways. But oh to God, is it wrong of us to say, Lord, give us children or we're going to die. She not only faces the strategy of the enemy, she will also have to face the humiliation of being misunderstood. Don't like that one, sure we don't. But don't like to be misunderstood. Not right? Who likes to be misunderstood? She was misunderstood, and the wives can all enjoy this. She was misunderstood by her husband. He just didn't get it. You just don't understand. She was misunderstood by the high priest, Eli. He says, you must be drunk. You've lost it altogether. You go to that church there in Ballenhenge Main Street, sure, they're all mad. But friends, there was a cry in the very depths of her being, a great inner groan, that she needed to lay hold of God and never give up. Thank God she did. In Luke chapter 18, coming to a close in a few minutes, Luke chapter 18, verse 1, tells us of a parable there. That parable is a parable that the Lord told, and he said, It spake a parable unto them to this end, the men ought always to pray and do not faint, saying there was a judge in a city which feared not God, neither regarded man. And verse 3 says this, and this was the hope of this whole city. This was the hope of the whole city. And there was a widow, there was a widow in that city. And thank God there was. Thank God there was. There was a widow in that city. She came unto him saying, Avenge me of my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will 
avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth? Is there a woman or a man like this widow woman in this city? An intercessor who has the inner groan, the inner groan of the Holy Spirit, perhaps for a circumstance, perhaps for a family, perhaps for a loved one, perhaps for your street, perhaps for Ballinahinch, perhaps for Northern Ireland, perhaps even for Ireland, perhaps for the United Kingdom, perhaps even for the continent of Europe. In the very depths of their soul, God has put a cry and a groan. Thank God he has. And as this woman cried day and night, I'm going to tell you, friends, there's a break coming. There's a break coming. There's a break coming. Romans 4 and 19, it says, Being of Abraham that he was not weak in his faith, did not consider that his own body was now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. But he did not stagger at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strong in his faith. He gave glory to God and being fully persuaded. Are you fully persuaded? What God had promised, he was also able to perform. What God had promised, he was able to perform. Friends, this we fellowship was burst. I don't say this in any way at all to say anything great about us. But just to tell you what it is, it was birthed for revival. This house has been called to be a house of prayer. This place, this upper room has been birthed of God and the people that he brings to it. I want to tell you, friend, I want to encourage you. It is the purpose of God that's through the vehicle, his church, not just in Balnehinch. Someone said to me, do you believe there's anyone else? I believe there's 7,000 haven't bowed the knee to Baal. All across this land, they're meeting this morning and believing God for revival. Let me tell you, friends, it's been birthed for revival. There's a groan in the womb of this church. And the groan is put there by the Holy Ghost. At times it's been strong. At times it's faded. But it's never been taken away. Why? Because God put it there. God put it there. And as we gather, I wonder can we abandon ourselves this morning and all our ideas and everything of what we think, can we abandon all that this morning? And would we be vulnerable enough to say, God, put a groan in us. Put a groan in us. Give us children. 
Give us souls. Or we're going to die. That's desperate, isn't it? God, a bit of groan in us. Bit of groan in our prayer meetings. Bit of groan in me. Bit of groan in you. Give us the heart of God to pray for revival. Lord, help us this morning. A divine dissatisfaction. But thank God, God was coming. And God was about to open the womb of Hannah. And a new thing was about to be birthed. I believe it's on the horizon. May we continue to pray and seek him. Let's pray together this morning.